back to another episode of Genesis. We are now on the final episode of this long series. Thank you so much for journeying us for so long throughout our exploration through the first book of the Bible. Before we begin, let's start off with a video clip. And after the video clip, we'll continue. So we'll be right back. Oh no, oh no, oh no! I'm lost! Where's the light? It just went away! What do I do? Help! We'll be stuck here forever! Do not panic! Do not panic! We are trained professionals! Now stay calm! We are going around the leaf! Around the leaf? I, I, I don't think we can do that. Oh, nonsense! This is nothing compared to the twig of 93. That's it, that's it, good! You're doing great! There you go, there you go! Watch my eyes, don't look away. And here's the line again! <laughs> thank you, thank you, Mr. Soil! <laughs> good job, everybody! In life, there are times we need to go around the leaf, just like the ants in the movie clip. I.e., break from convention to progress or move forward or to resolve an issue. When what we used to do and or familiar with no longer works, we need to evolve and change or else we suffer the consequences. We are required to evolve or make complete overhauls of what we used to do. Sounds familiar? I think you do. Because we're in this midst of a pandemic called COVID-19. And to tell you the truth, a lot of stuff has changed. COVID has become an impetus in demanding all of us to break from some of our conventions. Restaurants had to break from conventional practices to stay alive. Like, for example, they have to now do a lot of deliveries or make online orders, etc. Many businesses that usually traditionally are um, use office space, now they have to quickly adopt to new technologies to conduct their meetings through virtual technologies like Zoom. Uh, our elderly needed to adopt technology quite quickly. It was a humongous uh, learning curve for them in order to stay connected with their grandchildren. And of course, churches. Even though some churches really deny it and can't seem to realize the necessity to evolve, many churches like Crucible needed to break from convention to continue their Sunday worship services over Zoom or any other virtual platform. We had to break from convention. We had to go around the leaf. I believe God also does the same thing. He also works in unconventional ways when he deems it necessary. He even defines things unconventionally as well, such as what's good, because hey, He's God. Recall in one sermon uh, when I was describing the word good and how defining good is actually God's business, not ours. That good is in the context of God's business and God defines what's good for us, not us. What he deems as good may not be how we define as good, right? And today is no different. In these final chapters of Genesis, we see God working in unconventional ways again. In fact, if you've been with us for so long since day one, you and I both know that the God that we worship, this God, 
<laughs> works unconventionally often. Um, and in Genesis, since chapter 1. So here's my point that I would like to elaborate on today. God will decide who he will bless, how he will bless, and the kind of blessing the individual receive, i.e. blessings. The whole blessings thing is God's business. And in this context, he does it unconventionally. Genesis chapter 48, verse 5. Let's begin. Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. The first unconventional action that God performed through Jacob was to adopt Joseph's sons into the same status as Jacob's 12 original sons, i.e. Joseph's sons now have the same opportunity to receive the same kind of blessings as their uncles. Why? Because God honors those who are faithful and obedient to him, not because of socially accepted conventions. See, Socially, convention says that Reuben and Simeon are to receive the first fruits of the blessings. But God honors those who are faith and obedient. And because Reuben and Simeon were not, Ephraim and Manasseh now takes over. With God, tenure and seniority has no weight when it comes to who he will bless and use to fulfill his purpose. Just because Jacob's sons were from his own sperm or are older, or on the higher ranking of the hierarchical tree, or ethnically pure, or was from Abraham, who God first made the promise to, God blesses those who are faithful and obedient to him. See, that's a lesson for us today as well, isn't it? Just because we've been Christian longer than someone else, or raised in a Christian home, or have been going to church for a long, long time, doesn't mean God will bless us more than someone else who haven't been a Christian for that long. God decides who he will bless, how he will bless, and to what kind of blessing the individual will receive. And the following passages that we're going to explore provide us with ample examples of this. Let's move on. Verse 12 of chapter 48. Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground. Then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim toward Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, he was the younger one, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh. He was the firstborn. So here, we have God, through Jacob, reiterating the blessing that God gave to Abraham and to Jacob. Yet, completely going against convention, Jacob gives the double portion to the younger Ephraim, not Manasseh. Throughout our journey through Genesis, God fulfilled his purpose through the younger sibling as opposed to the older sibling, right from the beginning of Cain and Abel. And then we went to Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac got the blessing, not Ishmael. Jacob got the blessing, not his older brother Esau. 
Joseph got the blessing over Reuben, and now we have this. And because we have the benefit of being able to have the entire book of Genesis in our hands today, we, you and I, are benefited to understand why God chose the younger versus the older. The younger proved to be more faithful and obedient to God as opposed to the older, case in point, Esau. When he saw his dad doing the unconventional thing by putting his right hand onto his younger son, Ephraim, Joseph didn't like that and tried to swap the voice, forgetting that God doesn't bless according to convention, but according to his purpose. Jacob, on the other hand, finally got it and understood this and told Joseph that no, this is the correct way, that this is God's way, that he wanted Ephraim to be blessed over Manasseh. See how convention can blind us? Till now, Joseph, you and I come to realize that no, no, and familiarize with Joseph, that he was a stalwart, faithful, and obedient servant, right? He was this awesome guy. He was really faithful and obedient to God. A great example for us. Yet he too fell into the trap of convention, of social convention, and didn't see God's purpose to his own sons. See, I wonder if we, who may be deeply rooted by ethnic traditions, I wonder if our traditions blind us from God's purpose and blessings as well. Do our superstitions blind us from the blessings that God wants to reveal to us? Do our uh, loyalties to our uh, certain ancestors or to our loyalties to certain practices blind us from God's blessing? Let's take a look at how God blesses people now that we're talking about blessing. Verse 3 in 49. Reuben, the oldest son, you are my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. But you are as unruly as a flood, and you will be first no longer. For you went to bed with my wife, you defiled my marriage couch. How is that for a blessing? You and I don't think that this is, my, this is a blessing. This is almost a curse. However, God doesn't work that way, right? Recall that Ephraim took over Reuben in terms of the firstborn status. Why? Well, Reuben's actions were similar to treating your father as if he was dead. Reuben's actions revealed his true character, actually. Unruly, very rash, and always did whatever he wanted without considering others. So the question is, do you want Reuben and the people that he's going to purvey run the nation? Do you want Reuben and this type of attitude and character be multiplied thousand times fold into an entire nation? Do you think that this nation with this type of attitude can be a blessing and usher the world into God's presence? Heck no! Hence, God, through Jacob, blessed Reuben this way to fulfill his purpose. Reuben has not been cut out from God's promise. It's clearly that he didn't. He's not cut out from the family. But his role to lead Israel to fulfill God's promise was taken away due to his attitude and character. You can say that when Jacob blessed Reuben this way, it was actually a blessing to the world so that Reuben would not be the one leading a nation to God because he wouldn't be able to with this type of character and attitude. Let's move on to verse 5. 
Simeon and Levi are two of a kind. Their weapons are instruments of violence. May I never join in their meeting. May I never be a party to their plans. For in their anger they murdered men, and they crippled oxen just for sport. A curse on their anger, for it is fierce. A curse on their wrath, for it is cruel. I will scatter them among the descendants of Jacob, but will disperse them throughout Israel. Again, this doesn't seem like a blessing, does it? However, God doesn't work that way. God doesn't work in a conventional way of how we just define blessing. Here, do you recall the movie John Wick? Though John Wick's world of assassins looked really cool in the movies, I don't think it would be a good thing for Israel to be a nation of easily angered assassins and killers. Again, just like Reuben's blessing, God's blessing at first sight does not look like a blessing. If we only look at it pertaining to the individual. If we did, the blessing seems to be more like a curse, as mentioned in the verse. However, blessings are God's business, and he will bless his way and define the kind of blessing his way to achieve his purpose. He knows that Simeon and Levi's personality and attitude comes with some good and some bad. Good in a way that the two sons fight for justice. The reason why they did what they did was because, if you recall, their own very own sister got raped. And then they, they just reacted and fought for justice. But the bad is because they always tend to resort to violence in order to solve things. They resort to violence too easily. And that's not what God desires for a nation to usher the world into his presence. Do you want to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior because someone pointed a gun at you and threatened your life? That they threatened to shoot you if you do not believe in Jesus? No, I don't think you want that, do you? However, God had other plans for Levi. Just because Levi and Simeon did not have land or did not get a similar blessing like everyone and they would be scattered, if you go into Exodus, the book of Exodus, because Levi's desire for justice and order, their tribe became the Justice League for Moses. And if you want to know more, go ahead and read Exodus. But my point is that, again, God's blessing is according to God's purpose. The reason why he blessed Simeon and Levi this way is because that he doesn't want the attitude of violence and the attitude of delivering justice through violence as his people to usher other nations into his presence. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Wow. Judah, what a ride this guy had, eh? In chapter 28. He was complacent. He left his covenantal obligations. He abandoned his family. He ignored God's promise. And also he neglected his obligations to care for his family, especially Tamar. Yet, after Tamar gave him a rude awakening, 
we came to know a different Judah. It's like he turned 100 degrees, 180 degrees. He became a man who was repentant, a man who showed great humility to admit his wrongdoing, a man who was willing to sacrifice himself for the well-being of his father, a man who was willing to sacrifice everything, including his life, to save Benjamin, and a man that showed leadership among his brothers to do the same. God, through Jacob, honored Judah's humility, repentance, and sacrificial love for his family. And therefore, he was blessed this way. A blessing to be God's leader. A blessing that Judah will be the holy nation of faithful servant kings like King David and subsequently King Jesus. To those who are faithful and obedient, God blesses them with roles to fulfill his purpose, just like Judah. Let's move on to verse 13. Zebulun will settle by the seashore and will be a harbor for ships. His borders will extend to Sidon. Issachar is a sturdy donkey resting between two saddle packs. When he sees how good the countryside is and how pleasant the land, he will bend his shoulder to the load and submit himself to hard labor. Here's a quote from Bruce Walkie in his commentary in Genesis. Quote, Curiously, he is listed both here and in Moses' blessing. Uh, this is about Zebulun. He, as in Zebulun, is listed both here and in Moses' blessing before his brother Issachar. Leah's fifth son, giving him the preeminence. In both blessings, Zebulun is the more energetic and prosperous of the two. In fact, Issachar is represented as lazy, submissive, and effete. End quote. Just like Reuben, character plays a huge factor in how God blesses people. We can say that we are Christian, but if we are greedy and self-serving like Reuben, hot-headed and angry and violent like Simeon and Levi, God will not use us for his purpose. Here, we see that God does not desire a nation to be lethargic and easily enticed to take a path of least resistance, i.e. Issachar. Well, no kidding, right? Christianity has never been easy. You and I both know that ever since we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In fact, our very own Lord and Savior, our very foundation, took the road of suffering as well. And so, if Issachar is such a lazy bum and always takes the least path of resistance, God doesn't want that. God doesn't want that type of nation to lead other nations to him. God desires good character. And good character came from Zebulun. Let's move on to verse 16. Dan will govern his people like any other tribe in Israel. Dan will be the snake beside the road, a poisonous viper along the path that bites the horse's hooves so its rider is thrown off. We didn't read much about some of the brothers in our exploration through Genesis. Zebulun, Issachar are examples that there was not much described about them. And now Dan, not Pastor Dan. Dan and the Bible. It's interesting that God's blessings can also serve a purpose of revealing our true character, right? Zebulun being the motivated, energetic, loyal worker, while Issachar being a lazy bum. Who knew that, right? And it was not spoken of in the passages, previous passages. And so we hear about Dan through God's blessing, that his character and attitude was about fairness and justice, as we see in this blessing where his tribe will govern. 
But govern in what way, though? Govern using retaliation as opposed to being proactive and preventing injustice. How do we know that? Well, interestingly enough, there's one judge that came out of the tribe Dan, and his name was Samson. And if you're familiar with this sto- his story in Judges, you will go, oh yeah, it makes sense now about this whole retaliation for justice. Samson did that. Let's move on. Verse 18, I trust in you for your salvation, O Lord. For those keeners out there, you will notice that Jacob's blessings has a literary sandwich structure. Jacob first blesses Leah's sons, followed by Leah's maidservant Billah's sons, then followed by Rachel's maidservant Zilpah's sons, and conclude with Rachel's sons. So Leah, Leah's maidservant, Rachel's maidservant, and Rachel. Here, we are in the middle. And uh, just before Zilpah's sons gets introduced, we're right in the middle and Jacob prays. And through his prayer, we are reminded why this is the central point in his entire blessings. We are reminded that and reinforced and reaffirmed that blessings is God's business and it is God who delivers these blessings. Now let's move on to verse 19. Gad will be attacked by marauding bands, but he will attack them when they retreat. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for the kings. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. We already came to realize that our skills and talents are blessed by God for his purpose. And yes, even the most pragmatic ones that may not seem spiritual, like strategic planning, cooking, and farming. Yes, those are God-given skills as well to achieve God's purpose. Again, God blesses people his way, unconventionally. We may not see that, you know, good accounting practices, diligent in bookkeeping, managing people well, uh, and such and such, are gifts from God, but they are. In our conventional lens, sometimes we are tempted to only see spiritual gifts as gifts from God. But we have to realize that all gifts and talents are given by God to achieve his purpose. That's why God works so unconventionally. Anything that God gives will fulfill his purpose. And that is a blessing. Let's move on to verse 22. Joseph is the fowl of a wild donkey, the fowl of a wild donkey at a spring. One of the wild donkeys on the ridge, archers attacked him savagely. They shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained tout and his arms were strengthened by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the shepherd, the rock of Israel. May the God of your father help you. May the Almighty bless you with the blessings of the heavens above and blessings of the watery depths below and blessings of the breast and womb. May the blessings of your father surpass the blessings of the ancient mountains, reaching to the heights of the eternal hills. May these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, who is a prince among his brothers. Talk about how the word blessings being repeated in this passage alone. Because we've already seen that Joseph is now viewed as the representative of Israel, it's not a surprise that the word blessing is repeated so many times for Joseph. This blessing is almost similar to God blessing the entire nation. 
The blessing is basically a reiteration of God's promise to Abraham that no matter what happens, as long as Israel remains faithful and obedient, God will be with them, protect them, and enable them to be fruitful. That as long as they keep God as their mighty one, their shepherd, and the rock, God Almighty will continue to bless them with blessings from heaven above. Like Ephraim, who received the firstborn blessing, this is kind of like the second blessing of the double portion given to the firstborn. Let's move on to verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf devouring his enemies in the morning and dividing his plunder in the evening. Walkie says this about how this blessing reveals Benjamin's character. Quote, the animal imagery of Benjamin as a predatory ravenous wolf who shares his prey matches the tribe's high reputation for bravery and skill in war. Did you know about that in Benjamin? The only time we really encountered Benjamin was he was a quiet kid, very young. I, when I read Benjamin's stories, I always picture him as this young little eight-year-old that seems to have been caught in this whole screwed up family's business. I didn't know he would be a ravenous wolf, did you? But then again, for those of us who are keeners, Israel's first king, uh, sorry, Israel's first king came out of Benjamin, and his name was Saul, who had military might, and in his early years before he went cuckoo, he was generous and protected Israel during his kingship. So who knew of that, right? But that's Benjamin's character. And again, God blesses according to the person's faith and obedience and character. Let's conclude with our final passage to, to conclude our journey in Genesis. In verse 20, you intended to harm me. You, now, this is Joseph talking to his brothers. So Joseph is telling his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. All meaning when his brothers sold him to, threw him in the well, sold him to slavery, etc., etc. God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. In fact, in the entire known world. So no, don't be afraid. I'm not going to kill you. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he, re he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. To conclude, what a long journey. We went through 50 chapters of Genesis, and now we come to an end. When humanity decided to go off and decide for themselves what was good for themselves, i.e. Adam and Eve, things just got awful really fast, didn't it? Violence pervade, corruption, murders, jealousy, bickering, deception, and this came from just one screwed up family that somehow God still remained faithful to his promise to use them to usher all the nations back into his presence. If we're talking about unconventional, for God to remain faithful to this family is completely unconventional in the history of unconventionalism, if there was such a word. That no matter how screwed up this family was right from Abraham, that no matter how many times they screwed up, God still fulfilled his purpose through this family because even though they screwed up so many times, that there will be always times where this family comes back to God, repents, and renew their faith and obedience. That God has this immense grace and mercy to continue to remain faithful to them as long as they remain faithful to him. Folks, that's God's grace. 
God's grace is not conventional. God's blessings are not conventional. One of the most conventional ways we tend to think for the longest time is the whole idea that when God blesses us, it's all about the good stuff that we like. Well, I hope that throughout this entire Genesis series, we have come to realize that God's blessing is not about the good stuff that we desire, that we want. It's all about fulfilling his purpose. Our God-given vision, as we visited earlier uh, in the, near the beginning of our journey in Genesis, our God-given vision is to fulfill his purpose. Our gifts, our talents are to fulfill his purpose. Our possessions and accumulation of wealth is to fulfill his purpose. He gave you and I those possessions to fulfill his purpose. In our sufferings, our trials, our sicknesses, those are blessings as well because they fulfill his purpose. When we are given the opportunity to be agents to fulfill his purpose, that's a blessing. It has nothing to do with whether we like it or not. God's ways are unconventional, and that includes how he blesses those who are faithful and obedient to him. Amen.